If you would like to borrow a Bible, I'm going to raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a Bible. And when you're done with it, you just leave it in the pew. As many of you know that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, so how about a sermon on lust and divorce? (laughs) As you're planning on nurturing your relationship tomorrow, we're going to talk about today what threatens to rip it apart. And the topic is not just for those who are married or dating or wanting to be married or dating. It's for every single person in here who desires to live a life of purity and holiness before a holy God. And I've already given most of the parents a heads up. I want to give parents a heads up again. You know, we're all at different uh, approaches with our kids and what we want them to hear and not hear at certain ages. So I just want to give you a heads up that... We're about to stand and read the passage, and there is children's church for even older kids today. You can feel free to take your children to that. You discern, just kind of giving you a heads up. So let's all stand and read Matthew 5. Matthew 5. We're going to the book of Matthew. I did not plan to do this. This is just what came up for tomorrow. So let's read Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. Matthew five twenty seven. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You may be seated. As we're going to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out a variety of kingdom standards of those who follow him. His disciples are to display this exceeding righteousness above the religious leaders of the day. It's an inside-out renovation of the heart that expresses itself in a godly life. And this radical obedience that touches on all areas of our lives is also supposed to touch on the intimate areas of our lives. And I just want to say, there seems to be, maybe it's my my wrong perception, but there seems to be no greater struggle within the church today, this church, than issues of purity. And don't just think that I'm talking to men today, because I'm not just talking to men. I'm talking to men, and I'm talking to women. And we're not going to play this game. I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but when this topic will come up, you would just have a sermon that would address the ills of the world, Right? It would just go off on how immoral the world is. Not going to do that. I'm going to talk about you. I'm talking about what's going on in your life, what's going on in your heart. 
what's going on in your relationship with the God. You see, too many times we take a subject like this and we disconnect it from the rest of what's going on in the Bible, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. We saw about three weeks ago, remember, we're supposed to be salt and light to the world. We're supposed to move out on mission in our personal lives. But too many times we cannot move out on mission because we have this little secret life over here that others don't really know about. And it's hard to move out and impact others. John Piper, one of my favorite pastors, he wrote an article back in the 80s. It's kind of embarrassing to talk about. He wrote this article called Missions and Masturbation. That's a great topic, huh? Missions and Masturbation. And he argues in this, in this article that, that the act occurs usually with lustful images. And so you have this, this uh, person who, who's hearing a sermon about call to be, go on missions, go f- for the kingdom of God around the world and spread the gospel. And they have this little secret life over here. And they feel this tremendous guilt because they want to move out and, and love others, and yet they, they don't know what to do about this. And so every time the topic of missions comes up or being missional, reaching out, they're stuck. And that's what I, I don't want to have happen is that you always see that guy, you know, that guy in the church, and you kind of wonder, why does that guy never seem to step up? You know, he's been in church his whole life. He has a wife. She's godly, and they have great kids. But he, he, he never seems to step up. You know? You know that guy? You know what I'm talking about? Are, are you that guy? And you go, what's his problem? And it's probably, it's probably not always, but it's probably because he has this secret life he's not dealing with. And so if you're that guy, if you're that girl, what you want to do and say, okay, God, whatever today, deal with us. And I, I want to be very, I want to proceed in the right way. And I've been asking God, God, help me to proceed in the right way. Because I, I went to seminary, Dallas Seminary, back in the day in the 90s. And I remember on one occasion, there was a, a two faculty members who were messing around. A guy and a girl, they were messing around. Dallas Seminary faculty members. And they got busted. And I remember the president of the time, Chuck Swindoll, he got up in the chapel. He's got the faculty sitting on both sides of him and the students out in front of him. And he went off. I mean, I've never seen somebody go off. It's like he had a bat. He just started smashing everybody. And I was sitting out there going, dude, what's, what's the deal? What has happened? And so today, I'm not trying to go off on you. But there will be things that will be said. And if it doesn't have anything to do with you, just, just let it pass on by. And let it go to the person next to you or the person up there or down here. So don't, it's not all just for you, okay? Just, but there may be some things that fit and some that don't. So let's, let's just dive in and simply look at the words of Jesus as he speaks to our hearts. So let's jump in right now. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, who was saying that? Well, the religious, religious leaders of the day were doing the right thing. They were teaching the Bible. They were teaching the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. And it's, obviously that's a great teaching. There's nothing wrong with the base teaching alone because committing adultery physically is a violation of the commandment. But what they were doing, they were thinking, hey, as long as I don't commit physical adultery, 
that, that I'm fine. So these leaders would go around teaching the seventh commandment. They're, they're quoting it and teaching it. But the point was not to get at its true intent, but they taught it in a way to, to cover up with dealing with lust in their hearts. So it was a cover-up command. I didn't commit adultery. And then watch Jesus. He's going to get right at the heart. He's not contradicting the law. He's giving you the true intent and the heart of the law that was there all along, and the prophets interpreted the same as well. Look what Jesus says in verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've got to admit, that's a good translation. The ESV doing a good translation of the Greek there. I really appreciate and thankful for that translation because it spells out the intent of the looking. Do you see it there again? It's, it's, it's everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. The intent of looking is lusting. It's, it's a looking to look sexually. And I think that interpretation right there can save many men from undue guilt. It is not sinful. And you do not need to repent when you notice an attractive woman. Women, you do not need to repent. And it's not sinful when you notice an attractive man. I'm reading this book called Kingdom Ethics. It is so helpful for me to think through the Sermon on the Mount. He says uh, in there that it is natural for humans to feel this spark of attraction. That's how we get married, right? I mean, do you want to just say, well, I'm not attracted to my wife at all? Do you want to say that? I'm not attracted to my husband at all. No, you have this spark of attraction to whether it's physical beauty, you can be attracted to someone's inward beauty, and that's not sin. The issue is, what happens next? All right, so you're just going along, and you meet someone, and see someone who, who is uh, attractive, and if you are single, you have the freedom. If they're a Christian, you're a Christian. You have the freedom under the sovereignty of God to pursue that relationship in a godly way. You can pursue that spark of attraction. But, it, but if you're not going to, then move on. Now, if you're married and you have that spark of attraction towards someone else, you need to move on for sure. You need to move on physically and you need to move on mentally. Because when we do not move on, that spark becomes a blaze. And Jesus is addressing the blaze. Do you see what he says? He says, looking at a woman with lustful intent. He's, he's kind of taking the, the seventh commandment on adultery, and it seems like he's mixing in a bit of the tenth commandment forbidding covening, which happens in the heart. So it's, it's, a, lecture, it's a sexual looking upon another to have them in your mental fantasy. And Jesus says, that's adultery in the heart. And, and sometimes mental adultery in the heart can lead to physical adultery. You can think about King David, right? Remember King David, he saw that woman Bathsheba. And he's like, I want her, bring her to me. And then the mental adultery led to physical adultery. And, and in fact is, 
A lot of your mental adultery would lead to physical adultery if you had the authority of the king. But since you don't, it stays mental adultery, which is just as bad according to Jesus. Now, before you need to move on, because this is, this is like, this is like, this is, this is a way many of you can check out and you say, I don't have that problem. Right? You say, I just, I just don't have that problem of being physically attracted sometimes in a way that turns into lust. Some of you can legitimately say perhaps that you don't have that visual stimulation that Jesus is talking about. But I want you to catch this. There is more than one avenue to adultery in the heart. Wouldn't you agree? There's more than one avenue to adultery in the heart. Sometimes it comes through visual stimulation, but some have argued that it also comes through what has been called relational enticements. I mean, because we all were humans. We want to connect with people. We want friendship with others, and we want this intimacy. But if we're not careful, it will get perverted and turn into adultery in the heart. And see, some think, oh, yeah, I get it. So men have visual stimulation adultery, and then women commit adultery in the heart over relational enticements. I would say no. It can go both ways. For example, let me give you this one man. I'm going to read it to you. It's just one sentence. This is what, this is what he says. He says, if a new woman finds my conversation fascinating and my skills and strengths admirable and my presence exciting while my wife who once did also now takes them for granted I may be more susceptible to temptation than I had believed possible so if you're discontent and you're married or you're singled life you may need to be really really careful that you're not building this mental fantasy land where you are with someone else. You, you may do it as a form of escape or you're protecting yourself, but, but, but Jesus is saying that's adultery in the heart. And, and here's the sad truth. I'm just going to give you the sad truth. Whether it's through visual stimulation or relational enticements, every single person, are you, are you, are you with this? Every single person is guilty of adultery. You're all guilty. You know it. Come on. You're guilty. And if it was not for Jesus bearing our adultery upon his life on the cross, turning away the wrath of God, we, we would not be forgiven. But because he was bearing our adultery on the cross, we praise him for his grace. We praise him for his forgiveness. And we praise him that now we can walk in this freedom this holiness of life, freedom from these immoralities. And that's kind of the sticking point, is, and that's, that's the struggle, is that some of us are not finding freedom in these areas of lust. Some of you are stuck in this vicious cycle of lust. Maybe it's these uncontrolled fantasies in your heart from relational enticements. Maybe, maybe you're hooked on porn. There, there, I'm not a statistic guy, but there are statistics that 50% of the men in churches, evangelical churches, are hooked on porn. That's a vicious cycle. And we can be talking about missions and all this other stuff. If we're not dealing with that, you're not going anywhere. 
So the issue is if you're in these vicious cycles, how do you, how do you break out of these cycles? Well, the same thing goes with what we saw again uh, on anger last week, that if you're born again, you're spirit-filled, which every believer is, right? The Holy Spirit lives in you. There is um, a, a, a certain amount of, of, of victory that you can have. Not, not that you won't fight, but you can have victory. Remember last week we, we, we learned from this, um, this concept called transforming initiative? That, that means that Jesus in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, gives a realistic way of deliverance. Deliverance out of anger. Remember how we got out of anger? We approach people humbly and ask for repentance, right? Ask for forgiveness and we repent it. How do we get out of this vicious cycle of lust? Well, Jesus gives us these practical steps that we can take to get out of lust. And I know some of you may say, yeah, but isn't it supposed to be an inside-out renovation of the heart? Yeah, yes, yes. But that doesn't mean that we don't take practical steps outwardly that, that have impact upon the heart. So let's look at this transforming this initiative, this, these outward steps we can take to move out of this vicious cycle of lust and walk in his grace. Look at verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body go into hell. So his argument here is going from lesser to, to greater. So it would be better to take your eye and to poke it out. If it's causing you to look lustfully, poke it out than to have your whole body to be thrown into hell, right? So the concept is it's better to lose your eye than your body. And if your, your right hand causes you to grasp that which is forbidden, it will be better to cut off your hand and throw it away than to lose your whole body in hell. So it's an argument from lesser to, to greater. And, and I don't believe, and, and I'm sure uh, maybe you don't either, that Jesus is actually calling for physical mutilation because you could poke out both your eyes and still lust. Yeah? You could. Yes. So I don't think he's calling for this, this, this physical self-mutilation. But I think, and I could be wrong, but I really think what he's getting at here is he wants us to have these drastic measures, that he wants us to be serious about resisting sexual immorality. We need to poke out the eye. We need to cut off our hands. Uh, we need to poke out and cut off those venues of sin, whether you're in an inappropriate relationship, uh, you have questionable practices, or anything that is a source of temptation, you are to take certain steps and be dramatic and drastic and aggressive and fight by the power of God and the Holy Spirit in you against sexual immorality. And I know it's, an, like I said, it's an inside-out renovation of the heart, but it also comes by taking practical steps that impact the heart and protect the heart from certain triggers. Because you can be walking with the Lord and sometimes a trigger, is this not true? A trigger that you see or something happens relationally that can send you in this downward spiral, yes? You can be walking in purity and then you snap back because some type of trigger happened to you that sends you spiraling again down this pattern of lust. 
So what we want to do is we want to be aggressive and take drastic measures to avoid these triggers at all, if it's possible, right? So, I mean, you've always heard the concept, and this is nothing new in our day, that, you know, if you got issues with the computer, then you need to put a filter on it. You've heard that before, right? You need to put it where people can see it. But you may, you may need to get rid of the Internet altogether, and you may need to get your, rid of your computer altogether. And you go, wow, that sounds really drastic. Well, so does poking out your eye. And people say, well, you, you, know, you know, you need to stop, you know, be careful what you watch on TV, get rid of cable, but you may need to get rid of cable altogether and TV altogether and, and think, well, that's really drastic. Well, so is cutting off your hand. You're making the, the connection here. He's calling for these drastic measures. If there's certain places you can't go because if you go there, you're going to be set off, then there's certain places you need to stop going. But you have to admit, you, there's going to be stuff that comes up that you don't expect, yeah? You, you try to make these protective measures and you try to not have these triggers set you off, but there's stuff that's going to, be, that's going to happen. And I, I think what you need to do is always be... Uh, prepared as uh, this verse. Let me share this verse with you. 1 Corinthians 6.18. You need prepared to flee from sexual immorality. Now, this morning, I got to preach in my tennis shoes, my running shoes, for illustrative purposes. I wish I could preach in my running shoes every week. They're much more comfortable. But for illustrative purposes, flee. You need to have your spiritual running shoes on always and be ready to run. A point uh, in the Old Testament, um, Joseph, he's hired by this guy, uh, Potiphar, and his wife really wanted him sexually. And so every, can you imagine this? Every day, this, this woman is coming to him saying, come on, let's go, you and me. And every day he's like, are you kidding me? No way, I'm not going to sin against God. I'm not going to sin against your husband. There's no, no way am I going to sin like that. Every day, and then one day, no one's there. She corners him. She's like grabbing him and stuff. And he, I, he just gets he, losing some of his clothes. And he, it says that he fled. He just ran. And I think that we can do all the protective measures we can, but we got to have this fleeing mindset that when something comes along that catches us off guard, that we don't need to sit around and go, I'm going to stretch a little bit. I'm going to stretch. Yeah, I'm going to stretch. I got my shoes on, but I'm going to stretch until this pass. No, there's no stretching. Just run, flee, get away. They've got to have these drastic measures that we have got to get away when these triggers come and flee. And as I mentioned last week, and I I don't like to talk about it all the time, uh, as I mentioned last week that I come from a history of of immorality. That's just, that's just, that's just the way it is. And part of that immorality was pornography. I mean, when I was, uh, I became a new Christian at 19, and you're like, pornography was all in my life before then. I mean, like very young age, okay? And so I, I get saved. Don't, don't you wish that you could just get saved and everything's gone? <laughs> Like, you don't struggle with nothing. Like, it's all gone. Just boom. But that stuff kind of hangs around. And, and I was trying to figure out, God, how do I get out of this vicious cycle of pornography? And, and it came down to uh, one question that it, it felt like God was speaking to me one night 
um, kind of like saying, the question was, do you love God or do you love yourself? Do you want to please God or do you want to please yourself? And, and, and something happened to me at that time where it wasn't just, it wasn't just, oh, I've got to avoid all this bad stuff and then go to neutral. It's like, no, I get to have joy in Jesus. I get to have joy in pleasing my Father. I get to replace all the lies with truth of his scripture, with intimacy and fellowship and prayer with him. And, and it's like something, something God just did this transforming Work and, and I kid you not, by God's grace, I, I, was, I was able to say, no, no more of this. But it's not like you say, no more of this and just do whatever with your life. You, you, I just said, no more. And then I got really aggressive, just really aggressive. I, I didn't get married to my wife until 25. And before I married her, I pretty much did not date at all. I, I had to stop and say, okay. How do you treat girls? How do you treat them as sisters in Christ, created in the, in the image of God? How do you treat women? I've got to figure this out. I've got to respect them mentally and respect them in relationships. They're cherished. How can I cherish them? I had to figure that one out. I'm still working on that one, by the way. I want to love my wife. I want to love my daughters and encourage them. And, and, I did, and during that time, I stopped, I stopped going to movies because I just I didn't want to be set off. I, I stopped watching TV except when I'd, I'd watch it with my grandma. We like watch these old time westerns. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> I, st- I, I stopped going to the beach and the swimming pool. I don't know who ever thought of the idea of a beach or swimming pool. But anyway, that's another issue. <laughs> who thought of that? And all the other times, I had to just have my running shoes on, ready, ready to just run. And, and, and as I notice, as, as I get older, you know, you, you, you age and you think, man, I was so zealous back then. And you kind of let your guard down and see, I'm not as sensitive. I'm not as aggressive as I, as I used to be. But we got to continue to be the same uh, aggressiveness as you get older, the same diligence, because the temptations and the trappings, they don't, they don't go away. And one of the famous uh, books I love in the Bible is Job. And Job is a man who said, I love this, Job 31.1. He said, he said this, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. I'm like, Job, you're married. You have like tons of kids. Why do you have to say that? Of course you don't do that, Right. No, Job, he's got to make covenant here. Let's make an agreement. We're not going to lust here. Even as an older man. Man and women, we've got to be serious and, and diligent and take these drastic measures. And I, and, and I, I think one of the things that, that is key as we do this is we have to be careful with how we deal with one another when we, when we fall. Right? Because the tendency is, as we're holding each other accountable, as we're trying to encourage one another in these areas, the tendency is to either be too, too strong or too lenient. And if you're in accountability, chances are you're either going to be too strong or too lenient with one another. Too, too strong is like very legalistic, right? You don't want to be legalistic. 
and, and too lenient, it's just like you're letting stuff slide. You don't want to be in accountability where you're constantly letting stuff slide. You, you kind of want to have this, this gospel balance where you're constantly saying, look at your sin upon Jesus. Look at the grace that he offers you in his forgiveness. Keep pointing them to the cross. Keep pointing them to forgiveness and grace in Christ. But also, also, you want to also point them to your sin is disgusting. That is terrible. They crucified Christ. You, be embarrassed. Be shamed. This is terrible. But you want to see it on Jesus. And as I think if we, we keep that gospel balance, we keep saying sin is ugly. It's really ugly and gross. But look at the grace and forgiveness we have in Jesus. And if we hold each other accountable in this, this gospel balance way, it will keep us from being too you know, strong, legalistic, or too lenient, just letting stuff slide. But there's one more thing I have to say before we move on to, to the divorce issue. And I'm, I'm afraid if I don't tell you this, I'm afraid you know how teachers will be judged more, more strictly? You know that part? Teachers will be judged more strictly than others? I really feel like this will be part of judgment if I, don't, if I don't say this to you. Jesus is talking about hell. He's talking about hell. I know you don't think anybody goes there, but they do. And they go there for sexual immorality. And he talks about hell in two passes, two weeks in a row now. And he pretty much says that if you're not going to deal with this, you're going to go to hell. I mean, how do we respond to that? I really believe if there is not repentive sin, where you're not struggling, where you're not fighting, there's no sin, struggle, there's no fight evolved, I question whether you're even a believer. When warning passages come up in the Bible, they are for everybody, including believers. And if you remember the book of Hebrews, the way we deal with warning passages is they're like a, they're like a warning sign on a winding road of a mountain, remember? Like if we're going around the curve of the mountain and the road says, the sign says, slow down so you can make it around the curve, believers don't go, oh no, I'm going to go off the mountain and die. Believers say, I see that sign. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to make it around the curve just fine. So when believers see warnings in the Bible, they heed the warnings. They're signs of grace. But if you're consistently not heeding the warnings and you're consistently in an unrepentant cycle of immorality, you are not fighting, there is no struggle involved, you're just in it deep, then I must warn you and you must warn one another that the wrath of God is real. Hell is real. And that unrepentant, sexually immoral will face the wrath of God. Now as we move on to the divorce, you may wonder, well, how are these two connected? Well, I think he talks about adultery in both. I think it's connected along the sexual ethics as we have this lust, which is a, adultery in the heart, the same he's going to say with divorce. Often when divorce happens, it's adultery that caused it, or it's uh, it led to adultery. And the reason why Jesus brings up the issue, because the famous religious leaders of the day were downplaying marriage and arguing all these random exception clauses to get out of it. 
And you know what? They're just missing the point. And so what Jesus is going to do is say, you guys are missing the point, and he's going to affirm the permanence of marriage. And it's just a brief uh, two verses here. It's going to come up on a longer text in chapter 19. But you know what? Some of your marriages can't wait for chapter 19. You have issues now. You're doubting the permanence of your marriage now. You need this teaching today, right now. So let's look briefly at this permanence of marriage. Look at verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now this is a quote, quasi-quote here from Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. And this passage in Deuteronomy was originally, it was a backup plan in case a divorce ever happened. The passage in Deuteronomy 24 that's referenced here is not to condone divorce, but it makes a provision of protection mainly for a woman in case a divorce ever happened. And what the leaders of Jesus' day were doing, they were referencing back to this Deuteronomy passage, and they were creating a debate over the grounds of divorce because it mentions in that passage that a man divorced a wife for some indecency. And the Pharisees are like, well, let's figure out what that indecency is. Let's figure out why a man can divorce his wife. Okay, let's say. So one group said, okay, he can divorce her because the indecency is immorality. Or he can divorce her because she went outside and she had her hair down. He can divorce her for that. Or he can divorce her because she burned dinner. Or he can divorce her because he just found a better deal. And so that's how the argument was going in Jesus' day. Let's try to figure out how we can divorce our wives. Let's argue the provisions. Let's argue the exception clauses to get out of our marriages. So what's very interesting is they turned a teaching in Deuteronomy that was a worst-case scenario backup plan in case divorce ever happened into a teaching on how to get out of marriage. They're missing the point. Marriage is permanent. One woman, one man for life. And they miss the point. So look what Jesus says in verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So the intent of marriage is is permanent. I mean, it's not like God says, here's my plan, it's divorce. Here's my plan, it's remarriage. No, it says divorce, it's not in God's will. Remarriage, this case here, it's not in God's will. And the reason why is that when a man divorces a woman, the argument here is that she's going to go get remarried. And when she gets remarried, it will be adultery in God's eyes. You know why it will be called adultery? Because in God's eyes, she is still married to her first husband. And if the man is going to go and marry this divorced woman, then it's also adultery because in God's eyes, she's once again still married to her first husband. But there is an exception here. The only allowance in this context is for, you see that phrase there? It says for sexual immorality. And there's long debates on what that means, but I think it includes adultery and Uh, other forms of sexual sin. And and I don't think this is a passage requiring divorce or saying, go ahead and get divorced. But I think the idea is here, this unrepentant sexual sin going on in the marriage, there can be divorce. And I don't think when people find themselves in that situation that we should be like making them feel guilty. There's a situation that he's talking about here when there's just unrepentant sexual sin. Divorce is 
permit it. I mean, we want to encourage you to work on it and work through it, but if that's, that's a permission there. there. There's another permission. It's also in, I'm not going to look at it, but it's in 1 Corinthians 7. The Apostle Paul gives another exception in the desertion when an unbeliever leaves the believing spouse, then divorce it seems to be permitted. And I think in these situations, it also seems to, to not forbid remarriage. But I don't want to get into that. Because if we start getting into a sermon that talks about this exception, this exception, what about this, what about this, then we're missing the point, right? That's what Jesus is kind of confronting them on. Let's, let's, let's not create these passages to get into all these exception clauses. Though there are backup plans, as Deuteronomy is there, if something terrible happens, but marriage is one man and one woman for life. And, and it's so important for us to say the kingdom standards is permanent marriage. And we know that in this world there is sin, and we know in this world there is brokenness that has affected all of our lives. Maybe your parents, maybe your own marriage. And if you're here and you've, you're like, you're in a, you know, you've, you've faced a non-biblical divorce, you want to use that language, and you remarried, do not think that you're in a state of perpetual adultery. I, I don't think the Bible teaches that perpetual adultery is going on. If you find yourself when you shouldn't have got a divorce and you shouldn't have got remarried and you did, the idea is to repent, confess, receive forgiveness, and, and move forward by the grace of God. And yet it's important for the church to have a consistent message of permanence of marriage. Because in the Old Testament, you see the relationship between a husband and a wife, you know, imitating the relationship between God and his people. And in the New Testament, you have the relationship between a husband and a wife. It's supposed to be pointing to the relationship between Christ and his church. And we're supposed to say Christ and his church, they're not unfaithful to one another. God and his people in the Old Testament, they're not unfaithful. And so we're, we're putting this picture on display of what God's relationship is with his people. And I know, I don't know who you are. I really honestly don't know who you are. But I suspect that some of you may be thinking, you know, my marriage a little shaky. And you need to be encouraged with the permanence of God's plan for your marriage. And I know that we can go through seasons where things can be very difficult and it seems like the way to escape is divorce. And I just want to tell you, if it's all in your power, if it's in your power to do anything about it, don't, don't move in that direction. Don't move in that direction. I mean, we talked about the exceptions earlier, but generally speaking, don't move in that direction because you can be amazed what God can turn around and how he can work grace in a marriage and turn around. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about because you get up here right now and give a testimony of how four or five years ago your marriage was a mess, how God is working good things. But when you're in it, it's hard to see it, isn't it? When you're in a mess of a marriage, it's hard to see that things can ever get better. And this is what we want to do as a church. As a church, we want to take everything we have and throw it at you. Everything we have, we want to throw it at you. We are, we are committed to the purity of, of people who are single, purity of those who are married, purity of, of seeing marriage, marriages stick it out, that we, we want to take everything we have and just throw it at you. Our church does not have a lot of programs. We don't even have a building that we call our own. All right? You can go out to the suburbs and have a building, nice classrooms, 
great, fantastic programs. But there's one thing we do have is that we are heavy loaded. I think we are. I think we're heavy loaded on the side of helping people. Helping people in their relationships, helping people in their walk with the Lord and the purity. Let me just give you a few examples. Uh, I'm going to give you a few examples. And later on, you can look in your bulletin. They're all in there. You, you, I mean, you, you might not want to look now. It might be embarrassing. But, and it shouldn't be embarrassing because we all struggle with stuff, right? But if you are um, a woman and married, we have something called FBOW, which is a for better or worse group where you can get around. And by the way, these are not groups where you come and, and talk about your jacked up husband, all right? Yeah? This is, these are groups where you come and you can talk and encourage one another in your relationship with your husband and how to, you know, love him. And then for, for men, married men, non-married men, we have, we have sexual purity group. For men, they meet, they can encourage one another. And, and then we have, if, you are in, are in, if you're dating someone and you're thinking, maybe we should get married, we actually have pre-engagement mentoring. Like, let's talk about your relationship before you get engaged. Because sometimes when you get engaged, you're like, you don't want to talk about anything. You're just in love, you're already getting married, right? So if you're dating someone now, moving toward engagement, we have pre-engagement mentoring. And once you are engaged, we have engagement mentoring. And once you're married, we have some marriage counseling mentoring. And we also have this, this other group called Celebrate Recovery, where many of us can find ourselves in these vicious cycles. And as a vicious cycle we talked about this morning, this vicious cycle of sexual sin, th- this ministry of men and women, it split up men and women where they can encourage one another to walk in the truth, encourage one another to break out of these cycles and, and the gospel. And, and what I love about these groups... FPLW, uh, the um, men's group, and the counseling, and the celebrate recovery, you don't need to view these groups as jail time. It's not like, oh, you're so naughty, you've got to go to jail. And we're going to shame you in jail. Like, oh, there's all the sinners over there in jail working on their sinful issues. Oh, come on. That's, that's all of us, Right? We're all working on stuff. And there's just sometimes we need to pull back and deal with a certain area more intensely. Yeah? So I just want to encourage you. Let your brothers and sisters into your life. Don't be that guy in the church that everybody wonders, why doesn't he do anything? Well, it's because he has this secret life. Or why does that girl act like that? It's because she's got something going on we don't know about. Don't be that person. Let people into your life. Step out. Jump out there with others. We want to love one another, encourage other, and struggle together. And we don't want to be this this uh, legalistic church, and we don't want to be this wimpy church that doesn't call anything out. We want to just focus on the gospel. And see, we're forgiven in Christ. And call stuff what it is, and then move on in grace. Let's pray, guys. Lord, I do pray for the men here today who need to deal with this issue, this issue of lust, however it manifests itself. And I just ask they not harden their heart another day. And I pray for the women here who have a variety of issues going on as well, where they've created maybe a this fantasy land in their mind of what they would like things to be that are not. And, and it's sin. And may they just come out as well and, and repent 
and share it with others. And, and I do pray for the ethos communities this week as, as they deal with this topic, as, the, as, as they just, just expose themselves, say, look, there's something going on with me. Help. And Lord, just surprise us this week of how you've put so much grace into our lives and how you've changed certain people and may that encourage others. There is hope in a future of change. So sometimes we just get, we wonder, Lord, if there's any hope. And I just ask you to show us there is hope. There is hope to break out of these cycles. We don't have to always, always for the rest of our life continue to run back to the vomit. That we can move on, Lord. Show us that there is hope to move on in Jesus, Lord. Do a great work in us. May we not move from here until we have this commitment to allow you and other people to come in and deal with stuff in our lives. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.